conspiracy theories, eh? Wait till you get a load of this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cracked Sisters Conspiracies, where podcast that covers conspiracy theories, mysteries, and all over spooky shit. My name's Jackie. And I'm Cassandra. And we are said sisters. Hello. You? Ah, you know, it's all good. Didn't do anything today, but I had our parents over for dinner last night. <laughs> I heard. How was that? That was actually unproblematic and pretty nice. So that was good. good. Yeah. Then I had to suffer through taking Grace into Sky Zone by myself today. I saw that post. How how did that go? I brought my earbuds in anticipation of just like planting myself in a corner and they didn't work. They would not connect. So I had to try not to commit suicide for the entire hour I was there. It was awful. (laughs) Hour is not that bad. You should have gone on the trampolines and jumped with her. I know you have to pay to do that. And I'm probably going to hurt something. So (laughs) you are geriatric. I am. (laughs) Uh, What's anything new with you? No, not really. Yeah. Same shit, different day. Okay. Yeah. And it is Sunday. This will be our first successful recording, considering how this is the third time we have attempted to record our first episode. Yeah. And we had to completely course correct anyway, because clearly the universe wasn't ready for the initial idea. No, because then your husband blew up your computer and then my software held my footage hostage. So we just decided to move on. It's been a rocky start. So we're just going to hit refresh altogether. Here we go. So today we are covering missing 411. Okay. And you said you did some research into it and you watched a, uh, a documentary? So yeah, there's a documentary that I found on Tubi. It's Mystery 411. It's directed by this guy who I'm sure you'll be talking about. He was, you know, a police officer turned yeah. investigator. And so it highlights yeah. the cases of five different people in it. And so I did a little bit of reading research too. So I have some context going into it. I feel better. <laughs> Yeah, basically, just a quick summary. Missing 411 is based on a former police officer by the name of David Pilatus. Pilatus? Polydes? I don't know how you say his name. We're just going to call him David. And he believes he has found a connection and made a conspiracy theory about people who go missing in national parks. Yeah. That's basically the synopsis of what it is. Yeah, it's like there's a string of disappearances that have been taking place for years and years and years. And he feels that there's some, you know, not normal connection between all of them. Something big and bad has to be going on. Correct. So a little bit of backstory on David. As I said, he is a former police officer and he is most commonly known for his self-published books dedicated to proving the reality of Bigfoot and establishing the whole entire missing 411 conspiracy theory. Okay, so painting it with a bit of a, you know, an interesting color there. He's a conspiracy lover, aren't we all? Okay, well, good to know going in. Okay. Um, So Missing 411 was a series of books and movies about people who have mysteriously gone missing in national parks. And according to David, his Missing 411 work began when he was doing research on national parks. And he was contacted by an off-duty park ranger 
who expressed his concern about the questionable nature of some of the missing person cases he has had experienced recently. Okay. So that started the whole, you know, path down the investigative rabbit hole. Yes. And he really took it and ran because as of 2021, David has written at least 10 books on the missing 411 topic alone. But he does not yet have a theory on what actually is causing the disappearances. And he advises readers to, quote, go out of their normal comfort zone to determine who or what is the culprit. Oh, so is he thinking, yeah, it's something non-human or not of That's this the world? I get, yes. But the fact that he had zero proof, he can't make super specific claims. So he just tells readers to let their imagination roam and maybe they will find themselves in the same path that he does. And he is a former police officer, correct? Yes, correct. So is it like, I don't know, tracking down the truth and facts part of what he should be doing before spouting off? Maybe. Well, he's former. I don't know the terms of his release of that. Oh, okay. Well, it makes you wonder. True. And then uh, I guess uh, the National Park Service does not keep an independent list of people who have gone missing in the parks, though there is a database for obviously incident and criminal reports that people have gone to place about. Okay. And then apparently approximately 1,600 people have gone missing or mysteriously disappeared in national parks. In national parks across the whole country or? Uh Okay. It's not Not specific to one area. Okay. Interesting. I wonder how many of them are just like people get lost, disappear and, you know, are truly accidents. I assume that would be like the majority of it. So at the end of my notes, there are some people who disagree with oh, David okay. and me, and that is one of the topics that is brought up, but okay. that, will, that will let everyone make their own decision on this. Okay. Well, we will circle back to that then. Yeah. So I'm going to cover uh, a couple different cases that he wrote about in his Missing 411 series. They were also covered on Reddit and YouTube, and there is a YouTuber by the name Mr. Ballin. I don't know if you've ever heard his stuff or watched him, Uh, but he's covered numerous of the missing 411 different cases. He does like short little stories of spooky shit, basically. So he's really, if you, if someone really wants to go down that rabbit hole completely, I would suggest going to him, but we're just going to cover the basics here. Okay. So for one of the most famous stories about this on May 14th, 1950, Two-year-old Jackie Copeland went missing in Pennsylvania during a family picnic on an oil well property. His parents, because Jackie's a boy, his parents were keeping uh, an eye on him and his three sisters, but somehow he just managed to escape. The family spent a couple hours looking before contacting local law enforcement, and then hundreds of searchers looked for Jackie, and he was thankfully found alive the next morning after having been missing for approximately 17 hours. Now, according to David, uh, Jackie stated that he left in pursuit of a creature that had been, quote, peering at him from behind a big tree. Okay. How old was this kid? He was two. Oh, and he he said that he was chasing a a creature. Yes. A a two-year-old. Okay, continue. (laughs) Got it. Just And then so I found it. That was basically just off Reddit. I found a YouTube channel called AN Productions. They covered the story a little bit more in depth. 
So just piggybacking on what I already said, when police came to do the search along with volunteers, they brought canines that weren't able to pick up his scent at all. So obviously David thought that was concerning or suspicious. Vanished into thin air without a trace. Um, And then (laughs) police did not assume an abduction at this time because it was the 1950s and it was not as common as it is today. And it was like on the property anyway or... Yeah, so there it's surrounded by like a swampy forest, and okay. they just assumed that Jackie, being a two-year-old child, wandered off and somehow got lost in the forest. Sure, yeah. So police failed to find Jackie, and it was alleged in a couple different sources that I read that the canines did originally pick up a scent, but it just kind of vanished, and they weren't like suspiciously just stopped, and that must have mean that he was, you know, swooped up or something like that beamed into space beamed into space so there were these two oil workers next to an oil repressurizing plant which was about two miles away from the original search zone that police and volunteers were looking for jackie okay one of the workers happened to look over his shoulder and he thought he saw a little kid peeking his head around the corner of a tree So the worker goes and he finds Jackie on this island looking area of the swamp. It's just completely surrounded by swamp shit, I guess. And it was really difficult for adults to get there, but he's just kind of sitting there right in the middle unharmed, basically. And probably not covered in swamp to... No. Oh, And then the worker even stated it was almost impossible for adults to get onto that little island area. So they don't know how a two-year-old could have possibly gotten all the way out there on his own. I mean, that is kind of weird. Yeah. So when police asked Jackie questions, he never deviated from the same vocabulary that he used. He used it the entire time. So he was consistent. Okay. And again, he mentioned someone in the woods peering at him from behind a big tree. And he felt like this thing wanted him to come into the foresty swamp with him. And David kind of freaked out a little bit because... Jackie said that something was peering at him from behind a tree, which is exactly how Jackie was found by the oil workers. He was also peering behind a tree and he's like, kids mimic what they see, what they know. So obviously that must be how he was lured into wherever he was. I mean, I could, I could kind of see that as an explanation because there's, there's not falsehoods in that statement, so to speak, but yeah, I don't have any semblance of a, an explanation of what it could be. So why not lean into that one? Okay. So with most of these stories, there's a couple bits and pieces that kind of make sense just like this. Like, oh yeah, that's plausible. But sure. when you look at it as a whole, it's kind of up to you to determine whether you think it was innocent and you just got lost or whatever or sure. something more nefarious. Okay. Um, continuing what Jackie was saying during an interview, he said he felt the need to keep going, keep following this thing, creature, whatever, further into the swampy woods. And he said the thing just kept walking further and further away from him, but would continuously look back over his shoulder to make sure that Jackie was still following him. Hmm. And then Jackie said he reached this place called the Awful Dark, and there were all these creatures around him, but they couldn't harm him because the, quote, giant was next to him. The fuck? That's a little interesting. And then police were like, what the fuck? Uh, But they were most concerned about the distance that Jackie traveled, to which Jackie said that it was the giant that helped him get so far. 
Sure. I mean, having a child and knowing what she was like at that age, she would not walk anywhere. So she needed to be carried everywhere. So I, I'm sure that kid did not make it on his own. Exactly. But whether it was a tall human man that was trying to lure him or some mystical creature. Yeah. Right. And his brain maybe created a story or he didn't know what was happening. So that's Especially where he defaulted. I don't know if he was a toddler who has limited vocabulary and experience with the world. So wild imagination. That is true. Okay. So again, Jackie was asked by multiple different people many different times, and his story of the events basically stayed the same. Okay. Jackie was then sent to the doctors, but they only found a few scratches, but otherwise he was in great health. There's a a newspaper called the Logan's Port Press. They followed up with the Copeland family after the incident. And they wanted to know, again, how Jackie got so far away. Mm -hmm. And in the article, after the parents got Jackie out of the hospital and back home, they asked him, hey, dude, what the fuck happened? And again, same thing he told them. And as they reported in the newspaper that he looked into the forest, saw someone peering at him from behind a tree felt the need to follow him, went into the awful dark, but was protected by the giant. Okay. I mean, that's, that's pretty sus. Toddlers aren't that consistent usually. So it is. So I don't know if that means someone fed him a story or, or what the logical conclusion Uh, that would be. I don't know. I have questions. I don't have any answers, but that's okay. Unfortunately, that's where it ends because that's the end of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, damn. Okay. Okay, story number two. This takes place on February 7th of 1970. 16-year-old Jeff Haig was hiking along the Appalachian Trail with his Boy Scout troop. He had been a Boy Scout for about three years, and he had hiked many similar paths in the past. The trail that they were on was only about two miles long and considered a beginner's trail, which obviously Jeff was not. About three-fourths through their hike, the scoutmaster had everyone take a break, and Jeff was the last one to arrive and stated he was a little tired, which the scoutmaster found kind of questionable because it's normally, you know, he's normally at the front of the line kind of thing, and he was lagging and complaining about being tired on a relatively short hike. Okay. And then one of the senior scouts was not done eating at the end of this little three-fourths way meeting. And asked if he could just sit down, finish his food, and then he would meet up with everyone at the end of the trail. Uh, The scoutmaster said that was fine. And Jeff said, well, if he's staying, can I just keep, you know, can I stay with him? And the the scoutmaster said, "Eh, just just come with us and do your best. So as he's going down the trail, again, Jeff's like, I I just just need to take a little break. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to wait for the senior scout, and then we'll finish up together. And then the scoutmaster says, you know, it's fine. We're really like, we're basically at the end. I'm okay with that. Okay. So a few minutes later, the senior scout finished up his food and then he completed the hike and he met with everybody, but Jeff was not with him. So the scoutmaster's like, what the fuck? Where is Jeff? You were, he was sitting in the middle of the trail. You were supposed to meet up with him him. back with you. Literally. Yeah. And he's like, I never saw Jeff. I thought he was with you guys. I walked to the trail. There was no one there. I don't know what you're talking about. And it's so strange. obviously super strange. So the Boy Scouts start freaking out. So they call park services and they sent out a team as well as the local police department. It was snowing that day, but Jeff did have a backpack with some basic survival necessities inside. 
And over the following week, hundreds of people looked for Jeff, but they could not find him. The temperature was going down every day that passed, and it was below freezing during the night, each single night that he was missing. Okay. So on the 16th, so that would be a couple, like a week later, they found Jeff's backpack sitting on top of a rock in the middle of an icy river. And the only way that the backpack could have gotten on that rock was if Jeff had been standing inside the roughly waist deep water and put his backpack on the rock. So that's another story of something mysteriously ending up on something else in the middle of an obstacle. Yeah, kind of actually. And then to continue on that, all of the contents of Jeff's backpack had been pulled out and one by one placed on top of the rock. That's fucking weird. That's super weird. So now everyone thinking, is thinking Jeff is dead or he's going to die really soon because it's freezing and he ha- now has none of his survival equipment and he's presumably wet from getting into the river. So he's going to probably die pretty soon. Yeah. And sadly, <laughs> two days later, after oh. that, so the 18th, Jeff's body was found approximately 1,000 meters upstream for when his backpack had been found. Okay. Upstream from it. Okay. Sorry. Hmm. His body was found sitting up against a tree with his jacket and pants unzipped. He had no hat or gloves on and his socks were removed. Again, that's weird. I mean, mean, the, the backpack stuff, that's strange. Maybe he was like trying to cross and stopped at the rock and panicked and was pulling looking for something and then got swept but you said he was upstream so that doesn't work so i don't know or he like finally got out and crawled and went to go sit at a tree so it's it's very plausible that it mm-hmm. naturally could have occurred but exactly it's also kind of weird and where were his socks but <laughs> don't, i guess i don't know so his cause of death was ruled as exposure and sure. he did not have have any you know mysterious marks or injuries on his body so he was a popsicle. He was. Uh, many people believe that Jeff was possibly abducted in that short window of time from when he sat down and the scoutmaster left and he waited for the senior scout to finish his lunch and come get him, which would be a very tight time frame. Someone would have to be watching them and it would be it's out of character for him to do that anyway. So the sure. likelihood of that being a planned abduction would be almost zero, in my opinion. Hmm. Okay. And a lot of people, there's a phenomenon, I forgot to look into it further, but basically when you are freezing to death, at the end, your body will tell you you're very, very hot. So a lot of people undress and that's how they die of exposure even faster because now they have no clothes and all their body heat has just escaped. But it's something that happens internally that makes you feel like you're so hot. So you get naked basically like so, your your brain's probably trying to protect you from the fact that you're freezing to death okay probably so it tells you you're too hot and then it just ends you quicker i guess i don't know maybe so a lot of people think that's the logical reasoning of what happened of sure. people think it was abducted whether by a human or some weird entity i don't know got it okay uh the third story in 2006 38 year old Corey kelly contacted his good friend Jim to see if they wanted to go grouse hunting. And apparently grouse are a type of game bird, which I had never heard of before. Got it. I thought a rodent or something. I am woefully ignorant on small (laughs) animals. So 
Uh, Jim agreed, and they decided to meet at the Red Lakes State Wildlife Management Area in Minnesota. 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 So they arrived on October 16, along with Jim's dog named Sammy. Uh, While they were setting up their campsite, Jim realized that he forgot to bring gasoline, and he was going to run into town to get some. Corey said he would stay behind, and he would hang out with Sammy the dog until Jim got back. Okay. As Jim was leaving, he saw Corey walking with the shotgun into the woods with Sammy following him, which is not as spooky as it sounds since they are there for hunting. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. In context, it's not that bad. (laughs) An hour and a half later, Jim returned to the campsite and Corey and Sammy were still gone. Jim tried to call Corey, but after a couple of hours, the reception was just trash. So he kind of gave up. Sure. Corey was an avid hunter and familiar with the area that they were staying at, but Jim thought it was possible that maybe Corey got temporarily turned around or was lost, something like that. Okay. So Jim wanted to signal where the campsite was in case Corey did in fact get lost. So Jim started honking his horn incessantly and flashed his vehicle lights, uh, but really nothing came of it. So he probably just wasted his battery for nothing. Probably. Jim ended up just going to bed and very early in the morning when he woke up, he hoped to see Corey and Sammy there, uh, but he didn't. (laughs) So he decided that he was going to go looking and he hiked two miles when he still wasn't able to find Corey or Sammy. Jim turned back towards the campsite and tried calling 911, but again, it was shit reception. So the phone wasn't working. Okay. Jim was able to find some campers who were able to successfully call 911 for him. And so police came out with their ATVs. Um, I guess it was very, again, marshy and swampy and super difficult to walk on in the area. And they searched for two weeks. Okay. On on October 25th, nine miles away from where Corey and Jim's campsite was, two hunters found Sammy wandering around. So the dog lived. Oh, a happy ending with a dog. That almost never happens. I know, right? Police again began searching the area now where Sammy was found. And three days later, they found Corey's cigarettes and his lighter. The next day, they found Corey's clothing 14 miles away from their original campsite. 14 miles. And you said it was like swampy marshland. Yeah. Okay. So that, that they couldn't really walk on, which is why they used ATVs. Okay. So it's not like he just wandered 14 miles. Presumably not. No. Okay. The search was postponed due to the snowy weather and was restarted again in mid-November. They searched for 13 additional days. And again, because it's fucking Minnesota, the the weather got bad again. Mm -hmm. On April 28th of the following year, so 2007, they flew a plane above the area and they found Corey's dead body. Oh. He was laying in the middle of the swamp and his cause of death was ruled as hypothermia. Okay. Again, the most plausible thing was he got separated, got lost, whatever, and was trying to find his way back and succumbed to the marsh. Exactly. Many people believe that Corey died the first night that he went missing. And they found that strange because Corey would have had to run 14 miles in the swampy area prior to dying. And then the theory is that maybe Corey had been chased by someone or something which motivated him to run that distance and then hide. I guess he was found in like really tall, swampy grass, but right next to him was like an open 
field, I guess, like something that would be way more comfortable for a human to just sit in. So they thought that maybe he was trying to hide from whatever was possibly chasing him. Interesting. Okay. I can see how all of the stories they have a logical, potentially explanation, but there is a bit of a a weird coloring to all of them that could suggest otherwise that someone might latch on to. Okay. Yeah. For me, it's basically the first one. The first one had the most potential and then it kind of just goes downhill from there. But it does because it's, yeah, he's definitely trying to kind of shoehorn it into this, you know, idea that something it, you know, ominous is happening, but really it's just, I, I think people are getting eaten alive by nature as they do. And then lastly, the last story, it's called the fuzzy man story. Fuzzy man story. So this story was allegedly told from a search and rescuer from Northern California. I guess uh, there's no dates there's no names. So the, uh, there's no, like the other ones, there was um, like newspaper proof that these occurrences happened. This specific story, I could not find anything other than like Reddit and a couple other spooky websites. There's a website called phantomandmonsters.com, which I did locate this on. So there had been a family out berry picking in a forest, very close to the entrance of an unnamed national park, because there's really no details in this. There were two little boys, both under the age of five, and at an unknown time, one of the little boys just vanished. There okay. was a massive search, but they were not able to find the body. Again, police were called. They brought in canines, but they weren't able to pick up a scent at all, as it, almost if the child was never even there, which people like to assume if a canine can't find or maintain a scent that someone either wasn't there or they just vanished. Because they have 100% accuracy all the time without fail. Exactly. The search continued for about two months, but it was ultimately called off. So six months later, the family returned to that national park to place flowers at the memorial that had been created for this little boy. While this family was paying their respect, their second child vanished. (gasps) The second little fucking boy. And again, a search was started uh, and they couldn't find the boy. So about two weeks later, a volunteer 15 miles away from the designated search area called and said that they found the second boy alive and in good shape. Oh, oh thank God. But also, what the fuck? And where's right? the other That's one? <gasps> oh, so you never find out. Oh. So uh, the- I would never leave the house again. Sorry. Oh, oh. Jesus Christ. You probably shouldn't have left the first time and then doing it again, going to the same spot. So I guess the person that found the little boy said that he was sitting on a log playing with two sticks tied together with some old rope. Oh, the fuck? That sounds something or like something, you know, a grandpa would play with. I don't know. Go outside, dig a hole, play with some sticks and rope. That's all right. Sorry. <laughs> so when search and rescue got to the little boy, his clothes were clean, he was not injured, and he did not seem scared or traumatized. And this had been two weeks later. Okay. And how far away was he found? 15 miles. So it's not like his little ass probably traveled by himself that far. I don't probably know. Not. I don't know. That's weird. When they asked the boy where he had been, he replied that he had been with the fuzzy man. They assumed the fuzzy man meant that he was hairy and they clarified with him, oh, you mean the hairy guy? And he said, no, he was more blurry. Like if you were to close your eyes, but not close them all the way. 
Okay. So that's just how I see normally because I'm blind. But... You're blind as shit, but yeah. <laughs> so apparently that's how the, this man looked to him. So he said the fuzzy man took him and walked him deep into the woods. And then the kid slept in a hollow tree and the fuzzy man gave him berries to eat. When asked if the fuzzy man was scary, he said no, but he didn't like how he didn't have eyes. The fuck? (laughs) Further, the boy (laughs) was allowed to wander around in specific areas, but if he tried to go further than that, the fuzzy man would get mad and yell at him, even though he didn't have a mouth. He's got no eyes. He's got no mouth. It's just this tall, fuzzy looking thing. What the Hmm. wasn't super scary but could be scary when he got mad and yelled okay and then he explained that when the boy got scared at night the fuzzy man would make it brighter does not go into more detail about that fire a flashlight or the sun i was gone for two weeks you know what that's a great idea (laughs) and then i guess According to the boy, the fuzzy man was the one who gave him the stick rope bundle that he was found holding. Oh, that is bizarre. And like I said, unlike the additional child disappearance stories, there's nothing to prove that this ever happened. I have a thought. So this dude who the missing 411 guy. So he used to write books about Bigfoot. The fuzzy oh, man, yes. Fuzzy man kind of sounds like Bigfoot. Oh shit, you're right. I didn't think about that. A mysterious hairy man, fuzzy man living in the forest. But technically, fuzzy does not mean hairy. But yes, you were you were onto something. Coming from a small child, he, his vocabulary. He's not a thesaurus. He fuzzy, <laughs> hairy. They can be interchangeable for a kid. True. And then actually bringing it back to David, according to him, there were numerous cases involving this quote fuzzy man. And they, he explained that these cases came in clusters, but to my research, I was not able to find any other cases or any specific. Bigfoot sightings. That's what it is. It's Bigfoot sightings. There you go. You, you crafted that case. Good job. But you should probably find the other. Yeah. I'm like, did did Bigfoot eat the other kid? I don't know. (laughs) So as far as the skeptics on all this, they think it is not unusual for people to go missing, especially in giant parks or forests. And they believe that the manners of death are normal and to be expected. Example, the one dude that uh, died from hypothermia, the Mm -hmm. one kid that died from exposure, people die from animal attacks, all that stuff. Sure. Accidents, trip, fall, break something, you die. Yeah. Uh, A data scientist named Kyle Pollack documented the analysis of David's claims and concluded that the disappearances represent literally nothing unusual and are best explained again by non-mysterious causes such as falling or sudden health crises. Yeah. So there are some interesting details in each of the cases especially that fuzzy man, which again, we have just determined that Bigfoot is apparently real. Yeah, Uh it's Bigfoot. Yeah. So there's, there's a weird tinge to them all, but my gut doesn't scream something extra is going on with any of them. So I'm going to rate this. This I hopefully will be the conclusion of the first formally recorded first episode for like the fourth time. I fucking hope so because I cannot do this again. (laughs) No, no. 
Um, and if anyone ever wants to reach us for any means, whether it's to give us specific stories that you would like us to cover, or you want to give us a little bit of feedback, but nice feedback. We have an email, crackedsistersconspiracies at gmail.com. We will have an Instagram by the time this first episode is posted, same name. And if you were feeling generous, uh, we also should have a Patreon at the time of this posting by the same name. Feel free to give us a dollar. Maybe a dollar. Hopefully this posting is, you know, in the year of our Lord 2023 and not any later. <laughs> Considering how we were in February of 2023, I would be very upset if it took longer than that. Same, but again, we started this last month. so That is, that is true. We've had zero luck whatsoever, but here's to hoping. Okay.